Well, welcome back to um, the service. We're going to be jumping into Ephesians chapter 5 and continuing our, um, our series, Ephesians, um, Planned in Eternity, Displayed in Community. Uh, that's been our, you know, our tagline. Uh, and so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. Now, so far, we've seen in the first half of the book of Ephesians, God's great plan to save his people, to purchase them from death to life, from dominion over Satan into the new life that we have in Christ, uh, that he's made us new creatures, uh, that we get to be totally free and new. And then in chapters four through six, we're seeing how that plan in eternity is to be displayed in community that we are to live out this new creation reality in our church community, in our own lives personally, as we're called into unity, as we're called into purity, um, to put off the old self and put on the new, to walk in a new manner of life, to walk in love, to walk as children of light. Um, And then finally, last week, we saw where to walk wisely. And now we come into the second part of this section, verses 18 through 21. So would you read it with me? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know where you're your go-to is for a pick-me-up of energy or refreshment or to just kind of you're feeling down, you're feeling low, and then you need just something to restart or kickstart your body, your mind, your soul, whatever it is. For me, it's often, you know, a coffee in the morning or a coffee again and a coffee again, and then maybe four or five coffees throughout the day, double shot, single shot, espresso, doesn't matter how it comes. I love to have a coffee. Kind of feels that smell makes me feel energized even before I have any of the actual caffeine. Or sometimes for me, when I'm feeling a bit low or down, I like to kind of change the mood a little bit by, you know, having a beer or a wine just to relax and kind of clear my headspace a little. For some of you, maybe it's energy drinks. You're just like, I can't get through the day. If I need a buzz, I'm going to go to the energy. For some of you, it's the green tea or the herba mata or whatever other funky stuff there is out there. Um, Other times in my life, instead of consuming a substance, where I've gone to is actually kind of changing my climate a little bit. So even this morning, I wanted to clear my head and I went outside into the cold air and that kind of brought me a refreshment and it kind of enlightened my eyes a little bit. When I was a teenager, I used to live in a house that had a pool. And so I used to jump into the pool, even when it was freezing cold. And that would kind of like, whoa, wake me up and kind of reset my body, things like that. And we all have different ways in which we want to you know, be refreshed, be kindled with energy, kind of change our outlook. Uh, and we do different things to make us feel like that in our body. But what do we do when it comes to our soul and our spirit? What do we do when it's, it, we, a coffee doesn't do the trick? Uh, the jumping in the pool doesn't actually change your spiritual state. 
what do we do when we're feeling a bit defeated? Like we're just crushed in the spiritual life. We're, we're not making any progress in our sanctification. What do we do when we're feeling complacent? Like, ah, uh, I know I should care more about growing, but I'm just pretty happy with where I'm at in my spiritual walk. Coffees aren't going to fix it. A nice wine or beer isn't going to do the trick. Jumping in the pool isn't going to change your spirit because that problem is not a physical problem. It's a spiritual one. You see, we believe in that as Christians, or we just believe the way that God's made the world is that there's not just a material world. There's a spiritual world too. And we as humans aren't just physical beings, we're spiritual beings too. And as we've become Christians, we now have the Holy Spirit who has enlivened our spiritual side. So what do we do when we're experiencing spiritual flatness, depression, complacency? What do we do when we're seeking to need power to live out the Christian life in our different circumstances, our homes, our our work, our life? Where do we go? Where do we turn to? Well, by God's grace, we actually have the answer here in this passage this morning. That we don't need to turn to physical substances or climate changes or comforts of this world. We can actually turn to God himself for a radically changing power that can refresh us in totally new ways. So the main point of today's sermon is this is that every Christian is called to live a spirit-filled life. You see, God's answer to our problem of spiritual depression, complacency, disappointment, and defeat is spiritual renewal, is actually to be filled again, filled afresh with God's Holy Spirit. And this isn't just a remedy for the super spiritual. This is for all believers in all places at all times times. Every Christian is called to live a spirit-filled life. And that's what we're going to see in this passage over four points. Um, The Apostle Paul, in three verses, gives us a foundational way of changing and living. It's brilliant. And so the four points this morning are going to go off this kind of, this tagline, the spirit-filled Christian, and then something else afterwards. And it's all related to that idea of where do we go when we need refreshment, grace, and change. So point number one, the spirit-filled Christian. In this point, we're going to see Paul outline the major doctrine that he's trying to get across to the Ephesians. Would you read again with me um, verse 18? Actually, if you back up to verse 15, um, we'll see the the, the greater context. Uh, Because this verse doesn't just appear out of nowhere. Um, It actually goes back into the context of where we've been looking at. So verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And now he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, Paul is urging the Ephesian Christians and us that in these dark and evil times where we live in the dark world, where the old self is present, where Satan is trying to bring us down and tempt us and lead us out of holiness, in this old world, we need some help. We need some change. 
But in all this time, we're not to turn to substances. We're not to turn to material comforts to actually have this change. No, something completely different. We are to turn to God himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, he said in those verses, these, these two things, don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And now he's saying, don't get drunk with wine, but be full of the Spirit. In a sense, what he's saying to us is, don't live naturally. Live supernaturally in this dark time. Don't come under the influence of wine to get through the dark days. Come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Don't waste your time, which is what happens when you're drunk and living by your natural senses. Instead, make the best use of the time by being full of the Spirit and worshipping Jesus. So before we jump into the mechanics of this verse, where do you turn to when you're feeling down or low or seeking refreshment? Where do you go when you're feeling defeated or complacent in your Christian walk? Where do you go for help in your time of need? You see here, Paul isn't giving a command to never drink alcohol or to never enjoy yourself in this world. That's not the point. But what he's giving to the Ephesians is a plea for the best alternative. There's actually something better than filling ourselves up with all these things. We can have the presence of God himself to fill us, to make us new. You see, there's times in our lives where people feel like they can't be themselves. They can't be the real them. They can't feel relaxed. They can't feel joyful. They can't feel free. They can't feel, you know, relief until they've come under having a couple of drinks. And then suddenly they're free and the weight of the world is off them. Paul is saying that there's something far better for us. We can not lose our inhibitions, but have them stimulated by the Spirit. So what does Paul mean by this phrase, be filled by the Spirit? This is where people start to get really wacky and kooky. And, you know, often it's where the more, you know, uh, strange forms of churches and Christianity come out. People think that to be filled with the Spirit means that we need to be kind of laughing or growling or barking or frothing or fainting or seeking signs, wonders, miracles, tongues, prophecies. Sometimes people even talk about churches that aren't spirit-filled because they don't see these actions happening. But that's not at all what Paul means by being filled by the Spirit. At times, crazy things may happen with people who are filled by the Spirit, but that's not the normal. That's not what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian. We're going to see that in this passage, Paul has a totally different picture of what the spirit-filled Christian looks like. See, to be spirit-filled, if you look at it biblically and over the whole range of the Bible, is this. To be filled with the Spirit is to be taken up with much joy in Jesus Christ. To be filled with the Spirit is to be joyful in Jesus, which overflows in the power to live the Christian life for him. To be full of the Spirit is not to be, you know, going into a trance and seeing visions. It's to be enjoying Jesus. We see that all throughout the beginning of Luke's gospel, that people were filled with the Spirit when they came into the presence of the baby Jesus, even when he was in the womb. That when people thought or when people were full of the Spirit, they started prophesying. But what did they prophesy? Praises and adorations toward God and to Jesus Christ. 
Jesus himself was full of the Spirit. And what did he do? He went out in power and in the joy of God to serve other people. So when you hear, you know, the, the, the way for us to get through our dark and evil days is to be full of the Spirit, it doesn't mean to be kooky, weird, and strange in that way. It's actually something quite normal in a sense that every Christian should be experiencing this. You see, when we look to the book of Acts and we see the church full of the Holy Spirit, yes, they did miraculous things at times. But also at other times when they're full of the Spirit, all they did was serve tables and serve widows. So we don't want to pigeonhole the Spirit's work into these, you know, extra miraculous or supernatural ways because the Bible doesn't do that. The point isn't so much copying their activity, but copying the influence behind the activity. Where did their power come from to do those things? It was from the Holy Spirit himself. Where did the desire to come from? Comes from the Holy Spirit himself. So to be full of the Holy Spirit is to be full of the joy that Jesus brings, that overflows in power to live the Christian life in that joy. This is, in fact, what Jesus said the Holy Spirit came to do. Jesus said in John 16, 13 to 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And note this in verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So right at the outset, before we jump into all this stuff about what it means to be filled by the Spirit, the primary thing that the Holy Spirit does in our world and in the hearts of believers is magnify Jesus Christ, glorify Jesus Christ, put Jesus Christ in the center of our life. That's what Jesus sent the Spirit to do. Now, Crazy things may happen, and that has happened over the church history. We're not denying them. But at the center of it all should be joy in Jesus Christ. Sorry, just changing my view a little bit. It was just me. I didn't want to look at myself the whole time. Um, (laughs) Sometimes um, when we think of the image of filling with the Spirit, we can get the wrong idea um, because we think of, you know, filling like a cup of water, we're we're empty on the spirit and then we need to just be filled up like you're empty in petrol. So you go to the petrol station, clock in, fill up with a bit more diesel and you're ready to go. Uh, But the way the Bible talks about being full of the spirit is not so much in that you're low and you need a top up um, because the Bible's already told us we're we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit. We've already got the Holy Spirit. What it means by full of the Holy Spirit is to come under the Holy Spirit's influence and sway in our life. More like a ship's sail being filled with the wind and directed across the ocean by wherever the wind blows. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. To be full of the Spirit is to be under the Spirit's influence and activity more fully, to be under His movement, to be listening to Him. And what does He do? He draws us to Christ, to magnify Christ. It's similar to alcohol, which is why I think Paul uses this image of do not get drunk on wine, but be full of the spirit. You see, alcohol, when we drink it, it has an influence over us. It lowers our inhibitions and we start to say and do things we wouldn't normally say or do for worse most of the time. 
And when we come under the influence of alcohol and you've had enough of it, people can tell. They can tell you're a bit tipsy, you're a bit drunk. Uh, and you start to say things and people don't believe them anymore because they just think, oh, that's the drink talking, right? Well, the Holy Spirit is, is like that in the sense that being full of the Holy Spirit is to be under his influence and sway, but totally unlike that because instead of the Spirit leading us into disgusting acts and shameful acts and debauchery and wasted time, the Spirit enlivens us to be true creatures, new creatures in Christ. When the spirit comes, instead of being a depressive that leads us downward, he's more like a stimulant that actually enlivens all of our senses to appreciate and see God's world, to live in God's world, God's way for God's glory, you might say. And so to be full of the Holy Spirit is to be someone who is under the influence of the spirit. And you can tell who that person is because they're full of the joy of Jesus and they're full of the power to live out that joy in their lives. So as we look at this, a question to ask you is, are you full of the Spirit? Is this something that characterizes your life? Are you the type of person that is full of the Holy Spirit? Or can you be reminded of times when you've experienced a particular influence of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you had a particular joy that evidenced in particular power to live it out? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Or... In your mind, do you think this is just something for the super Christians or the crazy Christians? You know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty content in my Christian walk and, you know, those people over there, they can be full of the spirit, but I'm pretty happy being, you know, sealed by the spirit. They can be full of the spirit. I'll be sealed by the spirit. Well, the reality is, is that Paul's command in this chapter to the Ephesians is not just for the select few. It's not just for the apostle Paul or the apostles. It's for all Christians everywhere. In fact, if you look at the, the original language behind um, the verb there, which says, um, be filled by the Holy Spirit, um, in the original language, it's, it's put in there as a command. It's an imperative. This is not an optional command. No one can just say, hey, I'm, I'm not, it's not something I really want. Uh, leave it to the other people to be full of the Spirit. No, we're called by God to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Secondly, um, in this word, it's actually in the plural. Um, It's not just for the select few in Ephesus. It's for all the church. Paul's expectation was for the whole church of Ephesus to be full of the Holy Spirit. And the same expectation is for us. It's not relegated to the super spiritual. It's for every single one of our members. And that's my desire for all of us. I've been praying this week that each one of us would experience the filling power of the Holy Spirit to influence us, to come under his sway. And thirdly, um, the, the, the command is in the present tense, which means the expectation for Paul is that this would be a continual renewal and state of life, that we wouldn't be able to just look back to when we were a teenager and we were at kick or something and we're like, oh, wow, I was so full of the spirit then, but I'm pretty good now with just my mediocre life. No, it's an ongoing, continuous sense that we ought to always be full of the Holy Spirit. Which is so encouraging, I think. If it's a command, it means God's grace will be there for us to do it. If it's in the plural, it means all of us get to be involved. And if it's in the present, it's not just a one-off thing. It's meant to be always happening. John Stott says it like this. For the fullness of the Spirit is not a once-for-all experience which we can never lose. 
but a privilege to be renewed continuously by continuous believing and obedient appropriation. We've been sealed with the Spirit once and for all, but we need to be filled with the Spirit and go on being filled every day and every moment of the day. We need to be filled with the Spirit every day and every moment of the day. So how then do we be filled with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit? How does that even happen? How do we actually obey this command? Well, the final thing to note about this command to be filled with the Spirit is that it's in the passive voice, which means that it's not actually something we can make happen. It's something that is done to us by God. We can't manipulate God into filling us with his spirit. We can't make a bargain with God to make him fill us with his spirit. We can't just turn the synthesizer on, the smoke machine on, the syncopated drums on, and suddenly we're filled with the spirit. That's not how it works. Though I do like those things, and my pastor's college friends would know that. That's not how we get filled with the spirit. The command is to be filled by God, by his Holy Spirit. We can't make it happen. But what we are commanded to do is to seek that filling and to wait upon God to fill us. So it's an imperative. We have to be filled by the spirit, but uh, it's in the passive. So we can't make it happen. We have to wait on God to do it. So how do do we make it happen? Well, I think James chapter four, verse six through eight captures it so well. We position ourselves to humbly and hungrily seek God. Let's read James 4, 6 to 8. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How do we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Humble yourself before God. And draw near to him and ask him to do it. We humbly and hungrily seek him. We position ourselves at the throne of grace, asking, Lord God, fill me again afresh right now with your Holy Spirit. It's a prayer that I pray all the time, many times during the day, many times before services, before I'm about to preach. Um, I pray for the church. I pray for my family. Lord, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? And I'm not expecting in that moment to see a crazy vision or, you know, to start speaking in tongues or to start barking and growling and foaming at the mouth. That's not what Paul is saying. But what I do expect to see happen is as I humbly and hungrily draw near to God, that he will draw near to me and that I'll experience in my being and in your beings will experience the joy of Jesus Christ, a fresh awareness of his presence, a fresh love for him that wasn't there before we prayed a fresh faith and hope for the future. That's what happens when we're full of the Holy Spirit. So church, may I commend to you and plead with you, continually seek the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. In the dark and evil days, in the uncertain days, when your soul is troubled and your spirit is troubled, when you're lacking faith, when you're feeling complacent, when you're feeling distant, when you're feeling defeated, don't turn anywhere else than to God, that he would fill you with his spirit afresh. 
John Stott helpfully applies it in his commentary like this. Here then is a message both for the defeated and the complacent. That is for Christians at opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum. To the defeated, Paul would say, be filled with the spirit and he will give you a new love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. To the complacent, Paul would say, go on being filled with the spirit. Thank God for what he's given you thus far, but do not say you have arrived, for there is more, much more yet to come. Brothers and sisters, are you feeling defeated? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you feeling complacent or just steady or content with where you're at in your Christian life and your joy and your evangelism and your sanctification? Have you gotten a bit lazy or mediocre? Seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we will experience as a church and as a body and as brothers and sisters in Christ, a joy that cannot be compared to with any substance on this earth, a power, a presence to live for him in his world for his glory. So point number one, the spirit-filled Christian. The spirit, every believer is to be a spirit-filled Christian. There's no superheroes. It's a command to us all. It's a privilege for us all. And it's something we're to continuously seek after day after day after day after day. Be filled with the Spirit. That's point number one. Point number two, though, and really the next three points, which are going to be a lot shorter because now that we've established that, what does the Spirit-filled life look like practically? So if we're filled with the Spirit, what would it actually look like to be full of the Holy Spirit? And that's exactly what Paul goes to say on in the next three verses. He gives us three examples of what the Spirit-filled Christian looked like. So this is how you can tell, and this is not exhaustive, but this is just three of the, of the traits of a Spirit-filled Christian. But this is how you can tell if someone is filled with the Spirit or if you are filled with the Spirit. So point number two, the Spirit-filled Christian worships corporately and joyfully. The spirit-filled Christian worships corporately and joyfully. Let's read verse 19. But be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You see, what Paul goes on, he gives his command, be filled with the Spirit, and then he gives these addresses. This is what it looks like. And the first thing that it looks like to be filled with the Spirit is to be full of song. John MacArthur says it like this. The first consequence of the Spirit-filled life was not mountain-moving faith and ecstatic spiritual experience, dynamic speaking ability, or any other such thing. It was simply a heart that sings. When the believer walks by the Spirit, he has an inside joy that manifests itself in music. How do you know if you're full of the Spirit? Well, you want to sing praises to Jesus because what does the Spirit want to do? He wants to magnify Jesus. So the, the, the first result is that you have a heart to sing. You have a song to sing. 
In the first half of verse 19, Paul says that we are to sing, the spirit-filled Christians sing corporately. We, we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which just means in all manner and types of music. That there's a horizontal aspect to spirit-filled living, which is we sing with one another, which is why singing over Zoom is not half as encouraging as it is when we're with the gathered church. Because when we're gathered, we can actually address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs by using our voice, by participating in worship, by raising our hands, by calling out, by looking at one another, all those things we can't do online. The spirit-filled Christian is not about Jesus and me. It's also Jesus and we. It's together, us worshiping, which is why Mark said it will be such an eruption of joy when we finally get to gather again as the spirit fills us again to sing because we get to do it with one another, which is what the spirit wants us to do because the spirit has set us apart to be a body, to be a church, to be gathered not to be individuals on a screen, you know, all just privately enjoying Jesus. So if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you will sing corporately. You will engage in the corporate worship. You won't be turning up late to singing and thinking, we're just skipping that part, we'll miss it. You won't be turning up thinking, I'll just let other people sing and not me. You won't be turning up thinking, oh, this is just for the, you know, the more charismatic types, I'll just sit back and mumble. No, no, no. This is for all of us. If you're spirit-filled, you'll sing corporately. And secondly, he says, if you're spirit-filled, you'll sing joyfully. Read verse 19 again. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You see, the spirit-filled Christian worships Jesus. So yes, we sing to one another. That's an important horizontal aspect, but there's a vertical aspect. We enter the throne room when we're singing and we are singing to Jesus Christ alone. He is our audience, God, the father, son, and spirit. See, remember that it's not just a corporate thing. It is an individual thing too, but it's not just something that we do with our bodies. The spirit filled Christian worships from inside their soul and their being. There's actually a song in your heart to sing to Jesus. You're not just mumbling the words or saying them or performing them. When the Spirit fills us, we want to sing. When the Spirit fills us, we want to express praise to our great and worthy God. So if you lack desire to sing, if you're like, oh, not again, not another song. Wow, we're repeating that one. Pray that the Spirit would fill you. Pray that you would have a fresh joy so that those songs become sweet offerings of praise that you are offering to the King's throne as you sing. That it would be genuine worship from the heart. So that's point number two. The spirit-filled Christian worships corporately and joyfully because every Christian is called to be a spirit-filled Christian. So that's the first result. What does it look like to be spirit-filled? You sing corporately and joyfully. Secondly, point number three, the spirit-filled Christian gives thanks continually. The spirit-filled Christian gives thanks continually. Let's read verse 20. But be filled with the spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit-filled Christian 
is a thankful and joyful Christian. It's not natural to be thankful and joyful. It's not natural to have words of gratitude flowing out of your mouth. What's natural is to be Aussie and to always complain, moan, and criticize and critique. What's natural is to talk down, not talk up other people. What's natural is to find the negative, not the positive. But the spirit within us rises up thankfulness that we express to our God. And note what he says about our thankfulness. We're to give thanks always. We are to have a constant and regular heartbeat of thanksgiving in our life. This isn't meant to be like, oh, this one time a week I give thanks. It's like, this is our DNA. This is what we speak. Part of our language and dialect is thanksgiving as Christians. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, that's what it looks like. When the spirit fills us, we want to thank other people. And that thanksgiving isn't just given, you know, in our head, we express it verbally too. Secondly, we give thanks for everything. So we're giving thanks for everything. Now, this doesn't mean we give thanks for evil. That would be taking it too far. Romans 12, 9 says we're to abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. But it means that we can thank God in all circumstances. So we may not thank God. I don't think we ought to thank God for the coronavirus. But we should thank God for the good work that he's getting done through the coronavirus or through suffering or or persecution or hard times that happen in our life. The spirit-filled Christian is able to see God's hand at work in everything and in all circumstances is able to find thanksgiving in their hearts to God for who he is and what he's doing, even if we can't see in our circumstances anything, any gift or blessing to give thanks for. We wouldn't want to be thanking God for evil and abuse and suffering. That would be wrong. We're called also in Romans 12 to weep with those who weep. And so we are to be giving thanks constantly for everything, which means in every kind of circumstance and situation for those things that are good. And we give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, everything that that his person represents in the name of the Lord. That means we don't give thanks for sinful things. We give thanks to only things that represent Jesus well. And finally, we give thanks to whom? To God. You see, it is not mere thanksgiving. When I was a teacher, um, some of the activities we had to do was just ask the kids to just be thankful and write down things that they were thankful for. And so in a secular positive psychology world, people just kind of say, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for this. And they kind of feel like a little bit of joy but they're not actually directing their thankfulness to anyone. It's just to the universe or into the ether, into the world. But as Christians, we have a heavenly father. And so we thank God for all the good gifts he's given us. We have someone we can address our thanksgiving to, and we ought to address it to God first and foremost. And if you feel in your soul and your spirit that you don't have that much to give thanks for, All we have to do is start reviewing our state of salvation, the reality that we were once dead but now alive, the reality that we were once going on our way to hell, but now we are saved and redeemed and we're on our way to eternal glory and bliss. It's how the Apostle Paul began the letter, didn't he? In Ephesians chapter 1, he he blessed God with everything he had and just listed blessing after blessing for being chosen, sanctified, redeemed, sealed with the Spirit, the inheritance that we have. The Spirit-filled Christian has a multitude of reasons to give thanks. 
And the Spirit-filled Christian does it always, in everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and to God. The Spirit-filled Christian gives thanks continually. That's point number three and the second mark of what it looks like to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Because every Christian is called to be Spirit-filled. So this should mark each one of our lives. Are you a grateful person? Are you someone that always has gratefulness bubbling up and out of your life? If not, seek the filling of the Holy Spirit that you may become grateful. Final mark, um, the final result of the being filled by the Spirit. Point number four, the Spirit-filled Christian submits humbly. The spirit-filled Christian submits humbly. Verse 21. But be filled with the spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'll read that again. But be filled with the spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we come to verse 21, um, one of the things we need to recognize is that this verse is actually really important for the next massive section of scripture from chapter five, verse 22 to six through nine. Um, and I'm actually going to save a lot of my commentary on this verse for when we gather um, and we talk about the, the husbands and wives and the children and parents and the slaves and masters. So I'm going to keep my comments brief here this morning, although it's such an important verse, I want to give it justice in the future. What Paul is saying here in this verse most likely is this, that in the gathered church as Christians, we are called to submit to one another in that we serve one another and put one another's interests ahead of our own. It doesn't mean that it obliterates roles and hierarchy and institution, but it means that the church, the the new society of Jesus Christ, isn't a society where hierarchy rules by dominance and by mere servitude and obedience but one where, like our Lord Jesus, we're putting one another first. We're actually denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. We're loving one another as we would love ourselves. And so the spirit-filled Christian submits humbly to others in the church. The spirit-filled Christian looks to bless and serve. The spirit-filled Christian does not consider his or her interests as of most importance, but considers others more significant than themselves. The spirit-filled Christian takes up the example of Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, he became obedient to death. You see, the spirit-filled Christian has that attitude amongst themselves, so they're, they're not looking for everyone to submit to them, for their desires to be met for their way to be met, for their preferences in church and in life group and in social situations to be met, they're looking to put other people first, to put, you know, to serve and to bless. And again, this is not a natural thing. This is a mark of the Holy Spirit. If you are someone who looks to put other people's needs first, that is a genuine mark that God is at work in your life. Because if you're anything like me, the self comes back the desire to be in control, the desire to get what you want um, is so prevalent. So what does it mean to be a spirit-filled Christian? Well, verse 21 says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
We let Philippians 2 be our guide and Jesus be our example. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. It's not something we can make happen naturally. So it's an amazing passage, isn't it? We see that in this dark and and terrible world, in, in all the doubt as we look ahead, in the dimness of our future, when we're feeling low, when we're feeling defeated, complacent, when we're feeling like we just can't get this Christian thing all together, and some of us are tempted to tap out or to just give up, the Apostle Paul and God gives us a glorious different option. Instead of turning to substances to get through these dark days, instead of turning to material comforts, the Apostle Paul says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Because every Christian, every member of our church is meant to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Each one of us. This is an incredible gift, an incredible opportunity, and it is a great desire of my heart and soul to see our church continually seeking God, humbly and hungrily drawing near to him, that we would be more full of the joy of Jesus, and that out of that joy we would go to serve and love others and put other people first, that we would be full of thanksgiving to God for all things and all circumstances, and that we would sing joyfully to one another, and to our great and worthy Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit, every Christian is to be a Spirit-filled Christian, worshipping joyfully, giving thanks constantly, and submitting humbly. And this is all possible because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has drawn us in to make us new creatures, to make us alive in Him, through his death and resurrection on the cross. Brothers and sisters, do not miss out on this incredible opportunity to be filled with all the fullness of God. It is possible through God's grace. And so why don't we seek him now for that filling? And why don't we spur one another on to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can live for him? Would you pray with me? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, plead with you now. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Have sway over our lives. Have influence over our thoughts and our hearts. Change our hearts to love you and enjoy you and be full of you so that we can sing corporately and joyfully, so that we give thanks in every and all circumstances and that we submit to one another humbly. Lord, may our church be a spirit-filled church. God, only you can do it. And so we're pleading with you, give us more of you and less of ourselves. For those of us who are feeling defeated, we cry out, fill me with your Holy Spirit. For those of us feeling complacent, we cry out, fill me with your Holy Spirit, O Lord. Fill us, Lord, every day so that we may enjoy you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to join now by singing Jesus, thank you. The reality that we can have nothing better than more of him. Let's sing. <laughs>